This is Workers' Comp Matters, hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, the only legal talk network program that focuses entirely on the people and the law in workers' compensation cases. Nationally recognized trial attorney, expert, and author, Alan S. Pierce is a leader committed to making a difference when workers' comp matters. Welcome to another edition of Workers' Comp Matters. This is Alan Pierce. I am an attorney with the law firm of Pierce, Pierce Napolitano in Salem, Massachusetts. And we welcome you back to another episode of Workers' Comp Matters on the Legal Talk Network. Before we begin, I want to recognize two of our sponsors, Case Pacer, practice management system for the busy trial attorney. To learn more, go to casepacer.com. And also PI Now. Find a local qualified private investigator anywhere in the United States. Visit PINow.com to learn more. Today's guest is Dr. George Byland, a licensed psychologist practicing here in Beverly, Massachusetts, not too far from where my office is located. Uh, George has many years of clinical experience and has specialized in the treatment of patients who have chronic pain. He obtained a master's degree in 1972 and a doctorate in psychology in 1976 from Boston University. Dr. Bylan previously served as chief psychologist for the pain center at Leahy Outpatient Center in Danvers, Massachusetts, where he evaluated and treated multiple patients for various pain disorders and facilitated a weekly chronic pain support group. Of particular interest is that George is now the author of a book just published, Hot Off the Press, How to Reduce Your Chronic Pain, A New Model to Help You Restore Hope. So, George, welcome to Workers' Comp Matters. Thank you. Thank you, Alan. Let's kind of begin by talking about pain and more specifically chronic pain. How about just to get our feet wet? How do do you and other psychologists define chronic pain? Well, I think the more traditional standard perspective of chronic pain used by the medical community, and that includes psychologists, is that uh, any level of physical pain, typically physical pain, that lasts more than three to six months. And uh, the intensity of the pain continues and persists to the point that there's often the need for delegation to uh, other matter, other people, professionals. George, in in the workers' comp setting, we, at least my clients, for the most part, are suffering some degree of physical pain as a result of their injuries. And pain is dealt with uh, through medication, it's dealt with through counseling, it's dealt with through avoidance of activities. Your book seems to expand to a more holistic uh, level, different ways to deal with pain. And I'm struck by the introduction to your book, which begins with a quote. And by the way, you're very liberal with quotations uh, throughout the book, which I think are both inspiring and indicative of of your theses. But the one that I'd like to ask you to draw on a little more is the quote that pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. What does that mean to you and to our audience? Well, let's take the first part. Pain is inevitable. The implication is that we all start developmentally as infants with pain, that we can't get away from pain, even from birth, even from our mother's uh, womb, (laughs) if you really want to go that far. But the, the inevitable context of this is that Everyone is going to experience pain. How could you not experience pain from birth till death? It's the level of intensity that changes over time. That is the biggest 
critical issue. When we start to feel pain as infants and toddlers because we are hurting, you know, we're tired or whatever, those are good signals. When we feel pain, you know, it's, it's a good thing. When we get to suffering, it becomes more of a mind-body phenomenon. And suffering, when we say optional, it's basically free choice. Uh, that one has free choice to determine whether they see it as a catastrophe or challenge. Well, pain, as, as, as we know, uh, is primarily, if not exclusively, subjective. Yes. Again, if you get into quotes, one man's pain is another man's pleasure. That's right. Two different people can experience presumably the same level of pain and react differently to it. Your book and your practice has, has sort of developed a new model. Uh, give us an idea of how how your approach differs from, I guess, the more traditional approaches to either masking pain or diverting attention from pain or some of these other time-worn strategies that just aren't totally successful. Well, if you're talking about like, and basically I do treat this kind of model for all kinds of things, not just the pain when patients come in. So, uh, but let's just be relative to pain. When someone comes in, they say they're hurting, the biggest concern I have is what is the multidimensional perspectives of their pain? Like, why are they saying this now as opposed to coming to see me like three years ago or somebody coming to see someone else three years ago? What is going on? And typically it's the physical context that they are physically hurting more in terms of whatever it is. And there's just so many medical diagnoses you can talk about as to why they're hurting it. What is it they want? is a big issue with respect to how do they want to change? And uh, my model addresses how people change on one context using the Prochaska and DiClemente stages of change model, which has to do with where they are in terms of denial, uh, using the, the not so great ways of dealing with change, or if they really are committed to really wanting work, to work on this. So it's a very complex perspective. But the model has to take into account why is someone coming in and what do they want to see happen for themselves? So when you talk about a model, uh, you know, we were talking before we went on the air uh, in terms of how can anybody, a clinician, whether it's a medical doctor, a psychologist or a psychiatrist, differentiate or how can patients differentiate pain as objectively as they could? And, and I've seen this so-called pain scale where it's one to 10, yeah. happy face to miserable face. And I guess is that that's really the best that we have is a subjectively self-reported uh, scale of one to 10 and how much pain you have. Yeah, isn't that sort of fascinating? You it, think it, with it all is, the that, research done on pain, the electronic health records, for example, uh, and uh, the nursing medical staff comes down to this very simple perspective. What's your level at this point in time, by the way, because it's monitored. What's your level of pain? One to 10. And they're, unfortunately, they're focusing just on the physical aspect of pain. Yeah. And in your book, I noticed you have a variety of templates for physical pain scales, which, which are rated on a one to 10 basis, but with a lot of adjectives listed. You also have a life stress pain scale. Mm -hmm. You have an emotional pain scale. Yeah. You have a cognitive appraisal of pain scale a fortitude scale, uh, et cetera. Uh, no, that's it, that's all. How, how do you integrate all of these into a treatment plan? Well, we start off with the physical pain, okay? So that's, that's the easiest way to deal with it. But again, I wanna clarify, the most important issue is identifying how one is dealing with their pain now. Is it an adaptive way or maladaptive way of dealing with pain? There are better ways to cope with pain or deal with pain 
on an ongoing basis than the way some people may be using. So the very first concern is, are we defending against pain by using uh, maladaptive ways to cope with pain, such as opiate use, cigarette smoking, uh, drinking, I mean, all, all the kinds of uh, passive uh, weight gain, that, you know, all the kinds of negative ways, staying in bed, I mean, all the ways to sort of not cope the best way or not deal with the best way with pain possible. If you're at a situation in which you really want to work on it, and if you work through, you know, maybe I want to change that, then there's a stage process uh, they have to go through. And uh, there is a, this is a part of the model that, that I talk about, which is mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, grieving the way someone was in terms of how they were dealing with pain before and letting go of the way they were before the pain was intense. What you're describing seems to have borrowed a lot from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's five stages of, of at, at grief. At this point, yes, yes, absolutely. And I acknowledge that in yeah. this model. I acknowledge Prochaska and Di Clemente in terms of identifying the stages of change where people are and helping them in the process to sort of identify where they are. Maybe they need to do a cost-benefit analysis of how to go with, you know, what, what they, they want to change or not. But I'm, once they get through the mourning phase, it's basically... Now you have to determine, you want to accept pain as a reality that you may always have pain the way we're defining it differently now, which is multidimensional, emotional, life stress, thinking pain, lack of fortitude. It's not just physical anymore. That has to change from my view, all right? And then everyone determines what works best for them based on a whole range a whole array of, of strategies. It's not just opiates, not just medicine. I give in a book like multiple pages of multiple ways, whether it's Tai Chi or it's a, you know, a massage or it's a, for some works better than others. But then becomes a maintenance stage, which is if they're in that level that they're doing it, that's where we use the scales, the other scales, is to self-monitor how they are coping along the way. Almost like a, it's basically a relapse prevention model on a long-term maintenance basis. At this point, we're going to take a brief break, and we'll be back with Dr. George Bylan and a discussion of reducing chronic pain. Case Pacer is the leading practice management software for today's workers' comp and plaintiff's attorney. Named one of the fastest-growing companies in America by Inc. Magazine, we've given attorneys and their staff the ability to work from anywhere on any device. By automating workflows and streamlining non-revenue generating tasks, CasePacer enables firms to grow their practice at minimal cost. To see CasePacer in action, contact us today at casepacer.com. Does your law firm need an investigator for a background check, civil investigation, or other type of investigation? PINow.com is a -a one-of-a-kind resource for locating investigators anywhere in the U.S. and worldwide. The professionals listed on PI Now understand the legal constraints of an investigation, are up-to-date on the latest technology, and have extensive experience in many types of investigation, including workers' compensation and surveillance. Find a pre-screened private investigator today. Visit www.pinow.com. Welcome back to Workers' Comp Matters. This is Alan Pierce talking with Dr. George Bylan. And before the break, I mentioned that uh, George had his own experience with dealing with chronic pain. George, why don't you uh, detail what, uh, what you put in your book and what I know from knowing you personally and what you've gone through. The beauty of writing this book is basically out of free choice 
it came to a, a point in my life where I could say, look, I could go down the road of maladaptive ways to cope with pain like many, many people in this is our society, unfortunately, which has to do with uh, medications and just staying in bed, not so great ways. What's happened to me uh, and why I, I got to writing this book, and not just from the professional aspects, but really was that I was an athlete. I was quite an athlete when I was growing up in New York City. And then I was still here while I was going to graduate school, et cetera, when I got married to my wife and ongoingly. And um, I play a lot of tennis. I, I did a lot of skiing, uh, double diamonds and all that stuff and hiking and, and everything. And uh, uh, what happened was uh, at a certain point in time, I think uh, about 2005, something like that, I, I started to develop uh, what eventually became peripheral neuropathy, which is a deadening of the nerves, a little a tingling of my feet in my feet and uh, eventually had to stop playing tennis because it turned out to be an acknowledgement that it wasn't tight shoes <laughs> uh, that the neurologist first said, but he found out through an EMG electromyograph test that I did have peripheral neuropathy. So I, I had to mourn basically some painful aspects that I was a quite a jogger. I did three marathons, Boston marathons, back in the pack those days was okay, 80, 81, 82. Um, and I had to let go of jogging as well, but I still was able to continue doing a lot of other things, biking and swimming and try to cope as best as possible. At the same time, I did have to mourn those things. Anyway, it turns out that probably the most pivotal point for me, and like many people with chronic pain, is they often have gone through trauma, whether earlier in their life or at some point in their life. And uh, I'm not saying uh, that all trauma victims or all trauma patients of uh, people have chronic pain, and that one causes the other, but there's a high correlation there, it certainly is. Mine was in which I uh, unfortunately sat down on a, uh, <laughs> while my wife was enjoying herself like shopping <laughs> up in New Hampshire Mall, um, we were spending time. I, I actually, I went into a Brookstone store and I'm not, I'm not blaming Brookstone for anything because there's, a, there's an indemnity, <laughs> indemnification stating, you know, we don't hold us responsible. So I sat down on a, the best chair they had there, massage chair, and I, I did a couple of things. It was very nice. And then I turned it up to, uh, laid down, decided as my wife was continuing to shop, intense shiatsu. And it is a warning, be careful of these massage chairs, how you deal with them. So I, I laid down instead of sitting up and I, I felt these big steel balls going through my back of my neck all the way down, feeling this electrical impulse. And this was 2008 summer. And basically what inevitably happens, I stood up after it was done, it went all the way down and feeling this. And I, I felt like there was this boa constrictor around me. Um, I could not walk. I said, oh, this is like really eerie. It must be temporary. Well, it didn't turn out to be temporary. It turned out to be, I had a lot of constriction and a lot of pain, but I didn't know where it was coming from for about four months. And we did all kinds of tests, MRIs. My wife was quite scared, as was I. Uh, I couldn't walk very far as I was still seeing patients still in my, uh, the office that I was in then. Well, it turns out inevitably, after uh, recognizing I didn't have MS, I didn't have uh, a brain tumor. My doctor had told me, uh, you know, do yoga and stretching. I mean, that didn't help. We inevitably went to MGH, Mass General Hospital, and had a wonderful, incredible spiritual, I think, experience with uh, uh, this Dr. Uh, Gilmore O'Neill, who was a neurologist, and he gave me a lot of time. And inevitably, what he found out was, at that point, he said, George, he says, I, I asked, he did a physical uh, right there, and uh, looked at me and, and you know, I was really in hurt. He said, I wanted you to have emergency MRI as soon as possible, and which made me concerned. And, and I think he said that would be, I asked what, what is the issue? I didn't know. So anyway, I inevitably had a, 
had an MRI uh, at MGH down in Charlestown near the Constitution, uh, symbolic. And um, I found out uh, after the MRI that I, I went with the radiologist. They allowed me to go in. And I saw that uh, there was a, a greenish, uh, orange greenish uh, on the radiology report uh, down below, and it, it clearly identified stenosis, which is a narrowing in the vertebrae. And uh, I said to the radiologist, oh, is that why I'm having it? He said, no, 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 that's not why. He went, just went all the way up into my cervical area, which uh, all of a sudden I see it's like bright red, orange, and it shows that, oh my goodness. He said, basically, you have like pieces of your, your vertebrae, uh, or your lamina vertebrae going into your, halfway into your spinal cord. <laughs> so if I didn't do this, I, I could have been like uh, Christopher Reeves in some way, <laughs> inevitably uh, like uh, paralyzed, uh, God knows why. But the God was good to me, and um, I was able to connect with a do another doctor. I'm sorry, I'm crying a little because uh, these, this is what happens with trauma. I was able to connect with a doctor, um, Dorley, who was another Irish, uh, it was sort of funny, here I am, Jewish, uh, sort of conservative kind of guy. They, they, they were just so upbeat. Dr. Dorley is a neurosurgeon at Mass General, uh, actually North Shore Medical Center. He's still practicing, ironically. He's such a great guy. And they found out that I had to have a cervical laminectomy done, which really hurt hard. So, and then eventually um, it went well, thank God. At the same time, I had to have six other surgeries in seven years. And Dr. Dorley, he didn't have to do this. So he's a wonderful man. He did four surgeries at uh, two partial hemilaminotomies, which is basically cleaning the nerve roots on the vertebrae. And then I uh, did a spinal fusion, which was down near the stenosis, which is a severe stenosis and I have instrumentation. And then I had two hip surgeries, so I'm a, I'm a very hip guy right now. And uh, <laughs> along the way, you experienced a lot of physical pain. Absolutely. And it impacted your professional as well as your personal life. Oh, yes. And you adapted your own coping strategies. Not so good at times, yeah. that's true. But the end result is that you came through this. That's right. And you're still dealing with pain? Yeah, I will always deal with pain, uh, as will always, everyone. And, and so how have you coped? You use these strategies yourself and brought these to your patient population? Absolutely. And I know you're a, you're a funny guy, and we've talked about this, but uh, you also find that uh, humor is a useful tool therapeutically yes. in your sessions. And I know mm -hmm. at one point you did have a, a group of chronic pain sufferers that would meet on a... Uh, a scheduled basis for a while. Tell yes. us uh, what role do you think something like humor plays? Yeah, well, humor is a part of uh, one of the scales I create. And I just want to answer your first part of this. You know, I did have a choice like everybody in my model. I could have chosen to stay in bed. I could have chosen to get on opiates. I could have chosen to get fat. I could, I could have chosen to smoke a lot of cigarettes or cigars. I could have chosen to sort of cry all the time. I could have chosen to be angry, blame, and, and sort of like, and regress. I could have chosen to sort of use not so great ways. And basically I could have died literally as, as we have a passive suicidal concern seriously with op not only the opioid epidemic going on in this country, but in many areas, including obesity and cigarette nicotine smoking and whatever. I mean, uh, we, this is very serious. So I had a path, it's almost like uh, Robert Frost, the path less taken, uh, the road less taken or path less taken. You had fork in a road and I chose Maybe I did or didn't, maybe with God's help, and I will say God, that somehow I was gonna take a different path and I was gonna use what I experienced both in my professional life and my personal life to deal with writing a book to help people like you people out there, coupled by the medical staff, which is gonna be the sequel to this book, how to reduce your patient's chronic pain, which is I'm gonna start actually start tomorrow with my editor. So anyway, getting back to humor, how I developed this model 
Well, it, it's a spark like any creative person. I mean, at the same time, uh, so when we talk about humor, that's a part of the fortitude scale. You, you really want to use that one to 10 in many ways. And one to 10 is, you know, on part of fortitude, which is strength, ego strength, we'll call it in the past. One way is, you know, how do you use humor? I mean, we, and we did, we did, we used humor. Humor is fantastic. Uh, Norman Cousins wrote a whole book about this, how it helped him get through cancer treatment. And, uh, we, you know, we know about the dark humor used in the ER rooms and in the, what do you call it, the EMTs use dark room or the police and stress to reduce stress. Yeah, humor is a tremendous way. So what we did in the group is we had a structured part of the time for people to bring in jokes, not sarcastic jokes, but jokes about humor. And uh, that worked very well. It's a healthy way to cope. Look at comics, look at most comedians' histories. You'll see a lot of pain in their past, physical pain or trauma, and they revised it in a healthy, sublimated way. Others died from it. Well, uh, your book is filled with examples of, of what we've been just scratching the surface. So, George, if somebody wants to get a copy of your book, how would they do that? Okay, it's very easy. Uh, either you can, uh, well, if you want to get a copy, you can, you can write to me at Dr. George Payne-less, that's all small letters, uh, Dr. Jo Dr. George Payne-less at gmail.com for a request. Or you can go on, uh, at this point, it will be on Kindle and it will be on uh, books on print. You can go through Amazon. You could go through Barnes & Noble. Uh, I'd give it a week because it's just been approved. So you can go that way as well. And the book is called How to Reduce Your Chronic Pain, A New Model to Help You Restore Hope. So George... Thank you very much for sharing your personal experience and your professional expertise with us on this edition of Workers' Comp Matters. So uh, until next time, uh, this is Alan Pierce saying go out and make it a day that matters. Thanks for listening to Workers' Comp Matters today on the Legal Talk Network, hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, where we try to make a difference in workers' comp legal cases for people injured at work. Be sure to listen to other Workers' Comp Matters shows on the Legal Talk Network, your only choice for legal talk. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.